Well, I wanted to make sure I got up here on time today, and so I didn't freak any of you out again like I did on Christmas Eve. Uh, that was part of the message. It was part of the story. Uh, my name is Steve. Good morning. I'm glad you're all here, and um, I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, this better be good because I put on pants to be here today, <laughs> right? It's, it's that week, and I, I know what you mean. I, uh, um, I, I feel the same way. You guys better be good today because I put on pants to be here. I put on my sweatpants after I left here on Tuesday night, and I took them off this morning uh, to get dressed to come here. So uh, I hope it was a great Christmas for you. I know we had a great Christmas. We had lots of great time with family and friends, and I hope you did too. I hope you got some much-needed rest. That's something that we often miss out on at Christmas because we're so busy with all the things that come with the season that we miss that chance for rest. And so if you didn't get that, I hope and I'll pray that you get that today. And I hope you got some gifts, or at least a gift uh, I know many of you are much more about giving than receiving, but I hope you got a gift that you love. You know, we give gifts at Christmas out of tradition, but it's a tradition that stems from uh, that very first Christmas when the three magi or the three wise men brought gifts to Jesus, uh, to the family of Jesus, and their gifts were perfect. Now, they may not seem perfect when you think about gold and frankincense and myrrh, uh, being gifts for a little baby. Like, what's a baby going to do with myrrh? I don't even know what myrrh is, so what's a baby going to do with it, you might be thinking. But um, those gifts represented honor. They represented royalty. And plus, they were gifts of great price. And so that's important because what we know, if, if you uh, read the New Testament after Luke chapter 2, what you see is that Jesus' family had to go, to go and flee. They had to go flee. They had to leave uh, Bethlehem and go and seek refuge in Egypt because Herod was trying to kill all the, was killing all of the baby boys uh, in uh, that region. And so um, they would have needed, you know, financial support to make that happen because Joseph wouldn't have been able to work in his hometown. He worked as a carpenter or a stonemason, we know, in his hometown. And while he was on the run for the next couple of years um, seeking refuge in other places, they wouldn't have had uh, probably a regular source of income. And so gold and frankincense and myrrh would have been perfect gifts uh, for that. Uh, family. But not all the gifts that we receive are perfect, are they? I mean, I'm guessing none of you probably got frankincense or myrrh. Uh, you might have gotten gold at Christmas if you played your cards right, um, but you probably didn't get frankincense or myrrh. Maybe you got a candle instead. I don't know. But, but how many of you received either this Christmas or have received in the past some really bad Christmas gifts? Raise your hand if you can think of really bad Christmas gifts. A few of you. If you've gotten one, just, just turn to somebody next to you and tell them, what's the worst Christmas gift you've ever gotten? And if they gave it to you, don't tell them, okay? But <laughs> heard a little bit of laughing. I've got a really good one. This isn't mine. I heard this in the first service. Somebody came up to me after the first service, and she said, I just want to tell you about the Christmas gift my daughter gave me. Uh, her daughter's 10. And she said, my daughter is so sweet, and for Christmas, she handmade gifts for everyone in our family. And she, what she did was she took cards and she wrote out um, what she loved about them and then framed them and wrapped them and handed them to them as a gift. And, but, the, but the lady said, but for my gift, this is her daughter, she gave me a list of things I needed to work on. <laughs> I thought, that's fantastic. That's a great Christmas gift. As bad as, as, bad as your gift may be, I'm guessing it's not as bad as that one, and it's probably not as bad as some of these. Uh, I found some of these online this week. Uh, one young man asked his father for a pair of noise-canceling headphones, and what must be one of the best dad jokes ever, his dad got him a pair of Beats. 
Or what about this poor guy who uh, got a matching outfit, not matching pants and shirts, but matching the outfit he already had on? Isn't that fantastic? And then finally, maybe some of you received these in your stocking, the best Christmas gift in the world, hander pants. It's underpants for your hands. I mean, can you not think of a thousand things to do with those? I know I can't, so... Well, maybe you've been disappointed by a gift you've received, or maybe you've been disappointed by a gift that you've given. Like you thought you picked out the perfect thing for somebody, but it turned out to be the wrong size or the wrong color, or maybe it was just the wrong thing altogether. And when they opened it, your anticipation of what they were going to do and say completely didn't match the reality of that. And the truth is that disappointment is is kind of a part of Christmas, isn't it? And that's sad that it has to be, but it's it's okay because disappointment is kind of a part of life, isn't it? Uh, The reality is that uh, we all get disappointed in our everyday lives. And uh, let's just define disappointment as any time the reality of a situation doesn't measure up to our expectations, okay? And so, so some of us have really high expectations, and so we're disappointed a lot. And some of us have fairly low expectations, but still somehow we manage to get disappointed. Disappointment's going to be part of your reality, and all of us experience it, and it's true for everyone. And so if that's true, then the really important question we have to ask about disappointment is this. How will we deal with our disappointments? Like if disappointment is a natural part of our life, how are we going to deal with it? I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. So if you get to Matthew, you've gone too far. Um, If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a blue one like this on the floor around you. It's page 669 in these Bibles, Malachi chapter 1. Well, we're finishing up our series today called Waiting for Christmas. And these last few weeks, we've been learning about the story of God and his people, the people we call the nation of Israel. And how they were waiting for something that God had, uh, before the time of Jesus or Christmas, God was sending prophets to his people to foretell or to foreshadow of these days where there would be a savior, a rescuer to come. And these prophets spoke with words of wisdom and encouragement, and they had names like Micah and Isaiah and Jeremiah. And today we're going to hear from the prophet Malachi. Now, here's a little background. Before Malachi wrote uh, this book, the people of God had been in exile in a place called Babylon. And uh, God had promised them through earlier prophets that that he would uh, rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, that they had all been um, driven out of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. And many of them went into captivity in Babylon, but some of them fled to the outer areas. And so there was a, a remnant of the Israelite people. And God had promised them that he was going to have someone rebuild the walls around Jerusalem, that they would rebuild the temple, that they would all be together again someday and they would worship together. And then that God would send a rescuer or a savior, a Messiah to come for them. And so by the time Malachi came along, most of that had happened. The Nehemiah had rebuilt the walls around the city of Jerusalem. Uh, The temple had been restored. Many of the exiles had returned to Judea, but there was still no savior. And so the people in Malachi's day um, were disappointed people. Malachi writes this letter to people that were disappointed, and he writes them really to remind them of God's love for them. In fact, that's how he starts his letter. Malachi 1-2 starts with these words. I have loved you, says the Lord. I have loved you. The very first words in his letter to the people of Israel uh, from the Lord is, I have loved you. And that word love is from the Hebrew word ahav, Ahav means love. It's the same word used in, uh, for instance, in the book of Genesis. 
where God tells Abram to take his son, his only son, Isaac, whom he loves, whom he ahaves, and to take him and sacrifice him. And so this word, I think, is there for emphasis. Uh, Malachi would have been uh, harking back to some of those stories that his readers would have known from the Old Testament and reminding them, just like Abram loved his son, Isaac, his one and only son, God loves you. He's almost saying if there's one word that sums up like how God feels about you, it's ahav, it's love uh, for you. And so God says, I have loved you. I have loved you means I've loved you this whole time. Like while you were in captivity in Egypt, in slavery, I have loved you. While you were uh, in exile in Babylon, I have loved you. When you were together as a remnant worshiping in the temple, I have loved you. He says, I've loved you this whole time. I've never stopped loving you. And for some reason, Malachi felt like that's something that he needed to remind this disappointed people. Now, but what happens? The people doubt God's love. Look at this. They ask, but you asked, how have you loved us? You see what's happening here is that they're disputing God's love for them. Like, look at our situation, God. Look at where we are. We're, we, we, you haven't sent a savior. You haven't sent a rescuer like you promised. They're, they're looking at their sad state and saying, God, you haven't come through for us. How can you say you love us when you haven't come through for us? If you love us so much, when will you rescue us? When will you act? When will you send this, this, this Messiah that you've been talking about? They're so disappointed. They're not just questioning God's love. I really think they're disputing God's love. I think they're outright uh, being defiant with this question, how have you loved us? And I think that makes sense. They're angry with God and disappointment comes for us uh, in a couple of different ways, a few different ways. Uh, we get disappointed sometimes because we've done something, right? We, we made a decision, we made a mistake, something happens and somehow we end up in a place where we never expected to end up. We didn't hope that we would be there, but it was, it was our decision, it was our mistake and we're disappointed. That happens sometimes, right? Some of you have been there. I've been there. Uh, we get disappointed sometimes by what somebody else does. Somebody else lets us down. They, they forget about us. They, they betray us. They make a mistake, and it's disappointing to us. We get disappointed that way sometimes. And sometimes we get disappointed because we feel like God let us down, right? God didn't answer the prayer in the way that we thought we would. Uh, he didn't come through in the time that we thought he would, and so we get disappointed, and that's okay, because God doesn't always deliver what you want. And that's because that God always knows what you need. And we don't always know what we need. And so there are going to be times in your life where you're going to pray fervently for something. You're going to ask God for something that you believe at the bottom of your heart for all good intentions that you really need. And he's going to say no. And when he says no, he's going to say no because he knows what you need better than you know. And that's okay because there are going to be times in your life, if you have much of a faith journey at all, there are going to be times in your life where you and God disagree on something. And that's good because a God that you always agree with is a God that only you could have created. And so God knows better than you do. But sometimes when God doesn't come through like we think he's going to, it's disappointing to us, right? So we're disappointed. Regardless of the reason, we feel disappointment when our expectations aren't met, right? When our needs aren't met. And that can be hard and that can be sad and we feel like we've been let down. Um, we feel disappointment when a relationship ends, um, the job situation goes bad, when a friend betrays us, uh, when somebody doesn't take our advice and they get hurt and we think, you know, if they'd only followed my advice, if they'd only done what I told them to do, uh, we know that they would have been better off. We, we feel disappointment when um, something that we're assured was not going to be a problem all of a sudden becomes a problem. We can get disappointed with that. 
Uh, we feel disappointment when we realize that we're not who we thought we were or who we'd painted a picture of ourselves in our head. This is who we think we are, and we realize I'm not as good as that. I'm not as talented as that. I'm not as pretty as that, and we get disappointed. And this can be especially challenging when we realize that we've like created this fictional character in our head of who we really are, that we're just fooling ourselves, and we get disappointed in that. You know what I'm talking about? Like maybe you had this vision of your life where you were in control and you were on top of the situation, but then you got sick and everything changed about that. Or you thought your family life was perfect and you were so happy, but then the secret came out and now you're walking through a divorce and you never expected to be here and you're disappointed. Or, or maybe things are going really well and stuff in your life seems to be going your way, but something still feels like you're miss it's missing, like you've got this gnawing feeling down in the depths of your soul that this isn't all life's cracked up to be, that there's got to be something else, and it just gnaws at your sense of fulfillment. I mean, we all have disappointments in our lives. My life hasn't been as difficult as some of you. I know many of your stories, but I've had my share of disappointment for sure. Um, my parents divorced when I was in preschool, and I grew up um, with a single dad, a loving dad, but a single dad. And uh, I remember when I was 15, my family, I didn't grow up in church. My family had never really gone to church. But for a couple of years when I was in middle school, we went to this really great church. And when I was 15, we got kicked out of it. My family did. We couldn't come back. Um, at 18 years old, when I was 18, somebody very close to me swallowed an entire bottle of pills and tried to take her own life right in front of me. And that was, that was difficult. When I was 20, uh, after being a straight-A student in high school, I flunked out of college. And there's a lot of pain and disappointment to have in, a, in the first 20 years of your life. And it's these kind of disappointments that can rob us of our joy and really make us doubt the love that God has for us. You know, I could see the people of Israel asking Malachi, but how have you loved us? God, if this is my situation, how have you loved us? Here's the thing about disappointments. When we're disappointed, uh, those feelings often intensify around the holidays, don't they? Something about Christmas and New Year's and even Thanksgiving can make them worse. So this familiar place, this familiar routine, that, uh, the tradition that you once shared has slipped from your life, and it's just not the same. And, and now no amount of hype or positive thinking can make it right again. And I think that's why, honestly, why suicide rates are higher around the holidays than just about any time of year. Uh, people get disappointed, and they decide, you know what, the world would be better off without me. And I just want to stop here and say, if you're in a bad place, and you've had thoughts about taking your own life, don't. We need you here. We need you, and there's help available. I know pain is hard, but there's help. And you can talk to me after the service. You can talk to Danielle or any of our, any of our staff. We'd love to help you get help. Or if you'd rather be anonymous, um, there's a number you can call. The National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. That's 800-273-TALK. And if you need to talk to somebody anytime, day or night, they have volunteer staffed to answer that. You, you need to get help. Because we all have disappointment. And because of that, I think we can all relate to the people that Malachi was writing to. I mean, sometimes we don't doubt God's love. We're like the people of Israel and we outright dispute it. We think God doesn't love us because of our situation. And all we really want is for God to give us answers. Well, he does that. Look at this in Malachi chapter 3. If you go ahead a couple chapters, God promises to send that rescuer again. Malachi 3.1, he says this, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. This is foreshadowing here of a new covenant that was to come. Now, a covenant is an agreement sealed by blood. And God had an agreement with his people already. If you know the Old Testament at all, uh, you've seen it. It looks like this. Uh, 
the people had a law that they would follow, and as long as they followed the law, they were good. But if they ever stepped outside the law, uh, what we would call sin, if they ever stepped outside the law, that they were, there would be a blood price they had to pay. And so the temple was a place where people were constantly bringing these animals to the temple to be sacrificed to pay for their sin. There was a blood price required for thousands of years. The people of God had been coming to the temple of God to pay a blood price for when they transgressed or stepped away from God. But God here says he's going to be the one to send the messenger of the covenant. In other words, that the covenant we have now in place is going to change. There's going to be a new covenant. And then it happened. 2,000 years ago, what Malachi had spoken finally came true. A savior was born to us. And this is the Christmas story that we celebrated this past week on December the 25th. This is what we know and love. Uh, The Christmas story began when two women, uh, a woman named Elizabeth and a young girl named Mary became pregnant. You can read this story in Luke chapter one today if you want. Uh, But Elizabeth Uh, and her husband, Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest, and they were unable to have children and were getting along in age. Okay, they were old. They were old, okay? And maybe they had just given up hope of having family and sat in their disappointment. But then hope showed up when an angel visited Zechariah and told him they would have a child. He says, you're going to have a baby, and he gave him all these instructions for what he was going to do. And then six months later, another angel came to visit Mary. Now, Mary and Elizabeth were relatives, maybe distant cousins, um, but they knew each other and visited each other while they were pregnant. But this angel came and gave Mary the same message, although Mary was unmarried and still a virgin. But through the angel's message, hope came to all. For this child, Mary's child, the angel said, would be named Jesus, and he would be great, and he would be called the Son of the Most High, and his kingdom would never come to an end. And that baby boy was born to Mary, a peasant girl, and her fiancé, Joseph, a humble carpenter. Uh, This young girl gave birth to her son in a manger in some small little town away from all the glamour and lights of the city of Jerusalem. And she laid her son in a trough used to feed farm animals. And that is how God sent his love to us in physical form. Can we just pause our story here and talk about disappointment? Mary was just told she was going to give birth to the savior of the world. She carried him around for nine months. And when it comes time for him to be born, the barn, really, that's the best God could do. Do you think you'd be disappointed at that at all? I I promise you would. Because I have to tell you that when my daughter was born, uh, we got to uh, give birth to her in the brand new wing of the hospital. And I was disappointed that the big screen TV in the dad's lounge wasn't hooked up yet. And so I didn't get to watch the game. Hey, being an expectant father is hard work, okay? Nobody ever gives us credit. I mean, when I wanted to eat, I had to leave the hospital so my wife didn't see me. You know, that's hard work. I got to get out of the room so that she doesn't get mad at me. My hand was squeezed all the time. And you got to be there just as early as the mom does. You're in the room the whole time. And I don't know why people don't give the dad credits. Besides, she was fine. They kept bringing her ice chips. They didn't bring me anything. <laughs> I think I better move on. Um, let's go back to the Bible. God is like that guy who gives gifts, but it's never quite the exact gift that you expect. And it's maybe never quite exactly what you want. You know what I'm saying? that you ask for something, you expect something, you have this expectation, and because it's not how we want it, that we can be left disappointed. The way that God became flesh and came into our world is not what anybody was expecting. Uh, it may be seem disappointing for many, but it meant, and it still means, good, uh, new life, life and hope for all those who have come to know Jesus. And if you're here today, and um, maybe your disappointment is making you doubt or even dispute God's love for you, I just wanted to point out a couple places 
where we can see God's love, where we can look to find God's love. And these are in your notes if you want to follow along. Uh, the first place you can look and find God's love is you can look at the cradle. Look at that cradle. The God of the universe who was there when the earth was born became one of us. And not just one of us, the least of us, that he became dependent on this girl and her fiance as a baby in a cradle in some small podunk little town out of the way in a dirty manger. He became dependent on her for his very life. And one of the best known passages in all of scripture is John 3, 16. And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God gave us a gift. God so loved the world that he gave, he gave a gift. And the gift was his one and only son. And through him, God gave us a way to have eternal life. So how do we get to have eternal life with God? Well, it's pretty simple. We got to turn away from our sin and turn our lives over to Jesus. Matthew 1, 21 says this about Mary. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. It's our sin. Our sin is what keeps us from eternal life with God. I know many of us are not comfortable with the word sin. Maybe you only hear sin in church or in Las Vegas, um, but let's just make it really simple. Sin is going the opposite direction of God. It's walking away from God. Our sin separates us from God. And that makes sense because you can't have a relationship with someone when you're walking in opposite directions, right? If, if they're going this way and you say, I want to be with you, you can't go this way and expect to spend time with them. You can't be with them. We're going the opposite direction of God. But there's hope. Before Jesus, no one had ever been born who could save people from their sin. And Jesus in that cradle means that God loves us enough to be with us in this world full of sin. I mean, think about this. Think about the sacrifice Jesus made, not just on the cross, but to leave a perfect heaven and come to a broken earth with broken people and sickness and disease and sin. God takes on flesh and becomes human that first Christmas. It's known as the incarnation, which just means God is with us. It literally means that God is with us physically, historically, tangibly, even with us in our deepest disappointments. God came to earth on that first Christmas as a human in the flesh. Max Lucado is one of my favorite authors, and he puts it this way. He says, God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He came not as a flash of light or an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. The hands that first held him were unmanicured, calloused, and dirty. No silk, no ivory, no hype, no party, no hoopla. Angels watched as Mary changed God's diaper. So anytime you doubt God's love for you, you can look to the cradle. But there's one other place you can see it. You can look at the cross. All throughout his time on earth, Jesus loved like no one had ever loved. He Loved the rich young ruler and the woman caught in adultery. He loved Peter, one of his best friends who had a bit of a temper and also denied even knowing him three times before Jesus was killed. He loved the cheating tax collector and the widow that gave away her last two pennies. He loved everyone. No exceptions, no deceptions. He just loved. And even though he loved, he was despised and rejected by man. This baby who was born into our world became a grown man and he faced the cruelest of deaths, death on that cross. Yes, Jesus knew disappointment. He was rejected by, he was killed by the very people he came to save. And he hung on a cross because he loved us. He didn't have to die on a cross. He chose to go to the cross. He didn't, his life wasn't taken from him. He gave it up willingly. 
and he gave it up for us. At any moment, he could have called an audible. He could have changed the play, but instead he chose to be obedient. And as a result, he experienced the most gruesome and excruciatingly painful and difficult death known to man, death on a cross. Why? For the love of you and for the love of me. The Apostle Paul wrote it this way in Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus came to save us from all the disappointment in our lives. Everything that we experience, all the disappointment we experience because of our sin-soaked world can be taken away by Jesus. We can't escape the effects of sin, but the cross gives us hope in the present and hope of a future where there's no more pain and no more sin and no more disappointment. So in those moments when you doubt God's love for you, you can look to the cradle and you can look to the cross. But I have to tell you that the cross didn't have the last word. 1 Peter 1 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In his great mercy, God raised Jesus from the dead to give us hope for a new life. And so my hope for you as we close out this year is that you would marvel in that, that God sent you a son to die for you, but then raised him from the dead to give you living hope through his resurrection. I hope you would marvel in that, but not just marvel in it. I hope that you would act on it. I hope that you would respond. How do you do that? How do you respond to a man that went to his grave for you so that you don't have to and then overcame death? Well, if you've been around Genesis very long, you know that we're all about helping people find their way back to God. And many of you have been coming here for a long time now, and you're beginning to understand who Jesus is. And maybe you're starting to believe he is who he says he is, uh, Emmanuel, that he is God with us, that he is the Lord. And if that's you, I want to tell you today can be, finally be the day when you say, I'm yours, God. I'm yours, and I want to follow you the rest of my days. And that doesn't mean you don't have any doubts. I have to tell you that when I first came to know Christ, when I found my way back to God, um, I had lots of questions. And you know what God did? Is he didn't answer them. <laughs> he didn't answer all my questions right away. In fact, he still hasn't answered them all. I think you can have doubts and still follow Jesus. It, it also doesn't want, mean you've stopped wondering why your life is so full of disappointment. I think it means that you, like the prophet Malachi, just choose to put your hope in the one who has come to save you. This baby who became a man who chose to die rather than live without you. So how do we respond to disappointment? We need, we need to act. We have to share our disappointments with Jesus and ask him to help us. I mean, even though I had a lot of disappointments in my life, I, I can't let those moments control my life. I mean, I know that even though divorce isn't God's design for marriage, um, he's been with me. He has loved me through that. And, and it's taught me some things about my own marriage coming from a family of divorce. Uh, even though I would have never chosen to flunk out of school and drop out, some amazing things happened because of that. Some God-only things that happened as a result of that. They never would have happened otherwise. I mean, anytime, anytime sin enters the world, we end up disappointed. That's not God's design. But he has been with me all this time. And he will be with you and love you through your disappointments. As we wrap up 2019... Will you take your disappointments to Jesus? Will you remember that he was born on earth and died on a cross so that we could have new life and that he overcame death so that you could be a party to that new life? And if you choose to live for him, you no longer live in your own disappointments. We experience them, 
We still get disappointed from time to time, but they aren't the end. They aren't the end result for us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. You don't have to start this year like you finished the old one. You can be made new in Jesus. And to him, you're not defined by your disappointments. And if you're already in Christ and you've just been frustrated by your lack of progress, maybe you haven't seen your life change as fast as you hoped, um, you know, I just want you to know, I just want you to close your eyes for a minute. In fact, everybody just close your eyes for a minute. I want you to picture this. I want you to picture Jesus sitting on the throne of heaven. This is what he says in Revelation 21. He who is seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. He is making everything new. Present tense, right? He's, he's still working on that. He's still making things new. He's still working on you. He's still shaping you. He's still molding you. He's still turning you into the person he knows you have the potential to be. Now with your eyes closed, I just want you to picture your biggest area of disappointment in your life right now. Maybe it's, maybe it's a career thing. It's a job thing. Came to an end, just like you didn't expect. Maybe it's a relationship thing that you're struggling with. You don't know how to deal with it. Maybe it's a financial issue. It's a health problem. It's something with your kids. It's a living situation. Maybe it's some struggle with sin. Whatever it is, I just want you to picture that thing. Now picture Jesus sitting on his throne and he stretches out his arms towards you and says, give it to me. Give it to me. I'm making all things new. I'm going to take that thing and I'm going to make it new. I'm going to take your biggest disappointment. And I'm going to turn it around. Follow me and I can make that new. Trust me with that. I'll make it new. Give it to me. Just picture yourself taking that thing and handing it over to Jesus. He's taken it away and he's making it new. I have loved you, says the Lord. I have loved you. Let's pray together. Father God, sometimes we need to be reminded of your love for us. That you loved us so much that you didn't send an army. You didn't send an angel. That you sent your one and only son to come to earth and live a perfect life that we can model our life after and die a terrible death on the cross, a death that I deserved and that you would raise him from the dead. God, thank you for that. We remember that in this moment. We remember now we have the advantage that the people in Malachi's day didn't that when you say, I have loved you, we can look and say, yeah, you've loved us. You sent your son for us. So we thank you for that. For those of us in this room that are experiencing disappointment right now, we're dealing with something in our life that is just eating us up, that is that we're obsessing over. Lord, help us to hand that over to you, to give it to you. And we trust, Jesus, that you can make it new, that you will take it and make it a new creation, that you can turn it around and hand it back to us and, and just like new. And we trust you with that, God. We thank you for the promise of new life in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray.